0: It is Rob Thompson. You're watching again. Game plan you today. This is Startup Stories. Uh, we got a great, great guest on today. A legend in the sports industry, TJ Nelligan from Nelligan Sports Marketing. If you were involved in the industry in the, uh, especially in the '90s and the 2000s, you knew this agency was a powerhouse. He is a powerhouse. His story is amazing. Um, he's an author of a book live like Sean, and, and it's just, I read it, and, and it's just incredible, it, it really moved me and made me think about my behavior as a parent, as an adult, and, and as a sports industry professional. So he's coming up in a second. Uh, this is Gameplan You today. We are a platform for uh, sports tech founders, those who are the innovators, those who are changing the world and disrupting the world on how we watch, engage, and consume sports. So that's gameplayingyou.org for more information. This is part of our startup stories and our podcast series that we run. Please subscribe if you want to. Uh, TJ is gonna come up and he's gonna tell us um, his story, story about Sean, the book, everything else that he's done uh, in his career. Stay with us, we'll be right back. (music) DJ, how you doing, man? Thank you. All right, Rob. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So let's dive right in. Um, let's talk about it. What? What? Talk about the book. All right. So begin on. What was your passion for? What was the reason behind it? And and what took you so long to write it?
1: Well, it's interesting because uh, my son passed away on Father's Day in June of two thousand nineteen and as i was writing his eulogy i came up with all these little stories and came up with the term live like sean not when it's easy not when it's convenient but every day because he was the kindest soul you've ever met always happy always had a great day and as i gave this eulogy and i finished and his sisters more and megan spoke and his mom maggie a friend of mine uh, who's written four books came up to me after the eulogy and said that was amazing that's The outline for your book, live like Sean, and I said, You must be out of your mind, I can't write a book. And it started that way, and I said, You know what? It was kind of therapeutic and it was sad at times very sad at times. Uh, but I laughed, I cried, I wrote the book, and I figured, Ah, we'll print 200 copies, give it to friends and family, and it just took on a life of its own. Um, it's just crazy, it was in the top 20 uh on amazon and it was number two for new releases which is you know all sean i say this is sean's book and i'm just
0: a messenger you know i want to take a step back and and like i said i you know i had the pleasure of reading the book i know it's right over your right shoulder over there and um it was such a an inspiring read and as a dad of four children, and, you know, I put myself, I try to put myself as empathetically as I could in your shoes to understand what you went through, you know, and that's the mindset that I had reading it and it helped me digest everything. And you talk a lot about gratitude, how to be happy, you know, be in the moment. How much of this book was therapeutic for you? And and did you feel, did you feel from that part of it, was it a process for you to go through and go through those stories again? Was it, was it, did it, did it work out to be more therapeutic or you knew it was just something you had to do? Uh, I think it was very therapeutic at
1: times. And at times I couldn't write anything for a month leading up to the first holidays without Sean because he loved the holidays so much. But I mean, there's so many stories about him and the way he treated people, you know, he was kind. He was, he had gratitude every day. And I'm sure a lot of people would look at Sean that didn't know him and say, what does he have to be grateful for? but yet he lived that gratefulness and taught us unconditional love. He changed the lives of tens of thousands of people that he came across, including his cousins. You know, Some of his cousins started the best buddies at their high school in Pennsylvania, and all three of them ran it at one point. Other cousins down in Virginia started a unified track team with Special Olympics athletes and the varsity girls and boys track team down there. Um, So he really changed a lot of people's lives. And I think gratitude, which we start the book on the first chapter is the hardest thing for type A pro personalities, you know, like us to have because, well, I'll be grateful, and I'll be happy when I grow my company to x number of employees and x number of properties we represent. So you have to learn that life is a you know journey, you have to enjoy every day. Um, it's not a destination, you're not going to be happy when you get there because you change the goalposts once you hit the goal. Yeah,
0: That is very true. And for you, I mean, what was that thing you know, just with reading the book, you know, I think it's going to mean something different than everybody that reads it, you know, especially depending on where you come from in your life. And that resonated with me about the gratitude part um, and then being in the moment part as well. But how did you change when you you know, when Sean was, you know, when you guys were with the Special Olympics and you run the World Games and you're sharing all that and with the in that you had and going to all the games together and the Super Bowls. But when you what did a light go off in your head of the gratitude and being in the moment? Or was this something that you really discovered later on after he passed?
1: No, I think I realized that when when he got to about his teen years, um, you know, the beginning is very hard for parents because nobody tells you positive things that are going to come. No positive outcomes. They only tell you what he can't. He won't be able to accomplish in life. And I realized by watching him when he became a teenager, we used to call him the mayor. I mean, he would walk into a room and he had that it factor that everybody wanted to be near him. Everybody wanted to talk to Sean. Uh, It was truly amazing. And I think that, you know, being present is very difficult for us as well, because, you know, you're in a room and you see a more important person in the back of the room. So I say, oh, Rob, I'll be right back because I want to go talk to this big executive, see if I can make a deal with him. So I think by watching him and his behavior and the kindness and being present, we never left the sporting event early, ever. You're not allowed to leave in the seventh inning or the fourth quarter. We were the last people out of the stadium at every game.
0: Yeah, I mean, the Derek Jeter story was perfect about how he forced you to stay. You wanted to leave. i got to get out of here. I'm getting an Uber home. And because you stayed, you saw one of the greatest moments in Yankee and baseball history and sports history.
1: Right, exactly. I mean, you know, the game was won. The Yankees are winning by three, and it's the top of the night. So I'm like, come on, buddy, let's go. Let's get out of here and beat the traffic. Right. It's not over yet, Dad. What are you talking about? (laughs) Sit down. Sit down. Yeah, yeah, of all the great moments in Jeter's career, that's probably, you know, that's a Hollywood ending. It was unbelievable, and we would have missed it.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, I agree with you. I just – that resonated with me about, you know, when you said, put your cell phone down, pick your head up. Focus on the person you're talking to, and it literally usually. I read the book. I was telling Rachel on the on you know I lived down in Sarasota, Florida, so we're fortunate enough. I'm on the beach. I got I you know I got the book out to read it. Typically, I'm on my phone. Listen, I put my phone down for the rest of the day. You know, so you're the impact that the book has already had is impact. You know, that part of it made me remind myself. You're right. I'm not going to get this moment back. You know, so. Anyway, so if you if you wanted any feedback on it, the book works. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. So so talk about, you know, talk about the part of it that resonated the most with you. What was the part that maybe was the most painful to write?
1: Um, well, I think that the hardest part for me to read wasn't what I wrote, but the letters in the back of the book. Everybody started sending me cards and letters and we decided to put them in the book. And I couldn't get through any of these. The cousins, his his grandmother, his grandfather, his aunts, his uncles. And those I I realized that Sean had all those gifts. And you know, some special needs people, people look at them like they're lacking certain things. In some ways, those were assets to him. You know, he could enjoy life more than us mere mortals do, really. And those letters showed me that he touched everybody.
0: Yeah. I mean if if they were there were they were pretty special. I also liked the little quotes you had in each chapter, you know, from that related back to the people you're talking about. So that was really, really well written book and I enjoyed it. It was, uh, if you're, if you're anybody in the sports industry, obviously, and, and a busy executive, I highly recommend it. But so I want to talk about that. I want to talk about a little bit more about, you know, you as an entrepreneur and balancing family and the things that were thrown at you, trying to drive a business, trying to keep employees happy, um, and then having this as part of your life at a, at a, at a critical time. I mean, you're building a very, very popular sports marketing company. You built a, a massive one. You know, what was that like trying to juggle? Because we all have challenges, whether it's going through family challenges, you know, divorce, move, whatever, loss of job, the economy crashing. How did you, what was your mindset like? Where were you mentally?
1: Well, I think I said that, you know, I I wouldn't have started Nelligan Sports Marketing if I didn't have Sean. So I would look at him and say, he can't do this. What am I scared of? Let's push like an entrepreneur, put all the chips on the table and let's take a run at this thing. And, you know, after the first couple of years, it just took off like crazy. We grew a great company. And then, uh, you know, Learfield called one day uh, and we ended up selling to our competitor, Learfield. Um, But, you know, I had a 25-year run in the college sports marketing business, and I loved it. And I always spoke at colleges and universities, and I always try to tell all these students that if you get up on Monday morning and you're going to a job, you're in the wrong job. It has to be a passion. You can't be really good at something unless it's a lifestyle and a passion, not a job. And that's the way I looked at it. I never worked a day in my life. The last 25 years in, in college sports was just amazing, and the people I met and know all the different college towns I got to go to it was just an amazing experience and then later when Sean got older he and his best buddy Bobby uh, his teammate from Special Olympics worked at a restaurant me and a couple guys owned and they also worked in accounts receivable at Nelligan Sports so they were the best employees they took such pride in it and they'd come in and they would do all the uh, accounts receivable mail all the bills out and love going to all the events and the camaraderie with their colleagues at Nelligan Sports they loved Um, And that's what people have to realize is, you know, you should hire special needs people because they're the best employees. They take great pride in their work. And especially in sports, these two loved it. They knew more about sports than I did. And I, you know, I'm in the sports business. Sean knew every player of every team. And while they couldn't read or write or do math, I talk about in the book, sports math, you know, so one day we're sitting there and we're watching TV and the scores are going across the bottom. And he starts telling me who's winning the games, because he had memorized all the logos in college sports. And then if we're at a football game he'd say "Dad, Giants are winning 7 nothing, another touchdown 14 nothing. And I'd be like what's 7 plus 7? I don't know, but he knows two touchdowns is 14.
0: Sounds like my math. <laughs> <laughs> Same page. You know, the the story you shared I thought was great too about how um, the security guard at your building, Rocco. Great. And you know, you're leaving and he says goodbye to Rocker. You're like, how do you know him? He's like, well, I just met him. It was his first day, right? His first day at work.
1: He meets the security guard, which I didn't know because he came up. His mom dropped him off. And at the end of the day, we're leaving the building. And he goes, hey, Bruno, see you tomorrow. And I'm like, I walked by this guy for 10 years. And I would say, hello, good morning. I didn't know what his name was. 10 years I walked by him. And here's Sean just being friendly, talking to anybody, and actually caring what their answers are. You know, people say, oh, how are you doing? They, they don't even listen to your answer. He cared when he asked the question, what the answer was.
0: Yeah. I thought Bruno, I said Rocco, you know, Bruno Rocco, you know, the Italian, those old <laughs> Italian guys. Are also. Um, so no, I thought, I thought that was a great story. So you know, talk about your time with Special Olympics, talk about, tell that story on how you say, you know, we have to have that here in the United States and how you got involved in that whole process.
1: Well, it started when I had lunch with a fraternity brother in New York City. Sean was about five years old, and he was on the board of Special Olympics New Jersey. And Don Slatt told me about Special Olympics and said, you should come to the Summer Games at the College of New Jersey, you know, and check this out. So I reluctantly took Sean with me. He was very tiny at the time. He's on a backpack on my back. And we started walking around, watching people run track and swimming and softball. And everybody's high-fiving and hugging each other. And I realized Sean can be an athlete and so that was around 1995 i got involved and he still wasn't old enough or strong enough to participate but when he became 12 years old and i was chairman of the board i gave a little welcoming address and in march the athletes 3500 athletes from all over the state of new jersey and i saw sean marching in and high-fiving the law enforcement which there's thousands of them there and i realized wow this is a big day and I'm sitting up on the stage with a little tear coming out of my eyes, you know, thinking, wow, he can be an athlete. He can participate in sports. And then over the next 10, 15 years, he became really good at basketball, loved basketball. Um, but I remember a, a small kid goes dribbling by him one time. He gets out of the way, and he lets the kid make a layup. So I say, Sean, you're taller than that guy. you got to block the shot. He's like, Dad, that's not nice.
0: <laughs> that was great. You're like, he, he can't play defense. He's too nice to play defense. right uh pass and assist is a turnover in our game you just shoot (laughs) it's a classic but you guys ended up building a facility you raised a ton of money and you built a facility in new jersey talk about that i was
1: on the board there for about 15 years and uh when i was chairman we raised enough money to build the facility that has tennis courts bocce courts soccer fields outside a basketball uh gym as well as volleyball inside we have a library and a learning center uh, for families to come and learn. And there was a gym where the athletes could work out as well. So Mark Edenson was the president of Special Olympics New Jersey at the time and a very entrepreneurial guy. Uh, and We went to the board and said, this is what we want to do. And it was Prince Tennis Rackets old uh, warehouse. Uh, and they were like, oh, we should study this more. And we're like, you know, it was 2001, right, yeah. Right after 9-11. So I'm like, we have nothing to lose. Right. We went out, we raised all the money, we built it. It was the only one of its kind at the time. Uh, And then, you know, we decided, I went to the World Games in Greece for Special Olympics. I mean, Ireland, 2003. Mark and I go to Ireland, see Bono and U2 and Muhammad Ali and so many famous people there with 80,000 people in Croke Park in Dublin. And we said, we have to do something like this. So we bid on the 2014 Special Olympics USA Games, which is all 50 states, all the athletes come in. Uh, and we had about uh, 4,000 athletes, 80,000 spectators. We raised over $25 million and put on just an amazing world-class event. We had about 50 or 60 sponsors, some who gave us a million dollars, some a half a million and on, you know, so on down the list. And it was the highest profile event at the time uh, in the United States for a national games. So that was really fun. And what we did was we rented this giant cruise ship that held a thousand people and every night, a thousand different athletes would go on the boat around Manhattan, you know, when are they going to ever get the chance to do that? And we built a boardwalk themed theme park with all the rides and boardwalk games and Jersey style, you know, uh, arcade games and everything. So they had just a great time. And as I said at the time, you know, it took us four years to raise all the money, organize the event, and we were in business for one week. Um, so that was, that was a really gratifying experience to see all of these athletes win medal. And Sean won. He played bocce at the, at the uh, USA Games, and he won a gold and a silver medal. So I was very happy.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I hope you invited Bruno to the ceremony.
1: Bruno actually came to our Christmas parties after that.
0: <laughs> of course he did. Of course. You finally, you finally know him now. Right. Uh, so TJ, talk about, talk about what advice or what words of inspiration would you say to those parents out there who are watching this that may have a special needs child? Um, we are going through that same type of, you know, trials that you went through earlier on, what, what advice would you give to them?
1: Well, I think it's really hard the first five or 10 years because you're just finding out about this, like in Sean's case, you know, he wasn't a child born with Down syndrome. We thought we took home a perfectly healthy baby boy. And then, you know, everything starts unraveling and then you're going to doctors and therapists and physical therapy and all these things. Um, but after a while, once he became in his teen years and started participating in sports and working at all these jobs, you know, you really don't see the disability there comes a day where you see what they can do and they can achieve. And you really don't see the disabilities anymore. So, you know, we got him a three wheel bike because he couldn't ride a two wheel bike and he was perfectly happy riding around the beach, drive over to the basketball court and shoot a bunch of baskets. So, you know, I think that they have to just hang in there, keep the faith. And one day you see those. And that's what I tried to capture in the book is, You know, the first audience you think of is somebody else that has a special needs child or siblings or cousins or whoever. Um, But after a while, they have more gifts to give than we do as, quote, normal people. You know, those are assets that they have. All those all those different things of being present in the moment and having gratitude and being genuinely happy. Like He didn't know what he couldn't do. He only knew what he could do. And I think the hardest part for parents is to realize Sean didn't feel like, you know, he he was any less. It's the parents because it's your dreams that were shattered. Sean's dreams were shattered. He was perfectly happy to be alive. He was having a great time. He walked around like he owned the place. And he treated Derek Jeter or any other famous person, Eli Manning, when he beat him in Hoboken, the same as he did Bruno the Doorman.
0: You know, well, back to Bruno again. Bruno always finds his <laughs> way into this story. Um, you know, I was, I was I was sharing before – um, we jumped on about um, my 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 experience working with special needs kids in summer camp every summer uh, when I was in high school with the city of West Haven, which is a you know, suburb of New Haven. And I worked with uh, the Tall Oaks Camp, which were kids with autism, Down syndrome, um, any other disability. We had about 50 of them, most of which uh, participated in Special Olympics. But as a 17, 18-year-old kid, you know, who I thought I was going to work with, uh, you know, play baseball all day. But when I went into this camp the first year, I start I stayed all the way through college, um, was that not only did I fall in love with them, but their parents. And I met so many special parents. And the, there is no discrimination when I learned. There's no discrimination of what kids, what parents have children with special needs. There's no, you get it. But what I realized, TJ, was that And I don't want to get deep that God, God doesn't make mistakes. And he gives special parents, these children to bring them into the world. And then it's just, I I found that if I didn't go through that experience with those parents and become friends with them and get invited to birthday parties through the years, and they'd all show up at my college football games together. And it was, they were like, Rob, who are those families over there? Those are my kids from Tall Oaks. And um, so your book had meaning to me. And I know a lot of other people that are gonna read this. And you know, God didn't make mistake. He gave Sean to to special people, to you and your wife and to your family. And so thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your story about Sean with us. Well, thank you. We we always said, you know, his mom Maggie and his sisters Moore
1: and Megan and you know, we always said that, you know, God gave us the perfect child and gave Sean the perfect parents. And you don't see that in the beginning. But you learn to grow into that and you realize that, how lucky were we to have someone so magnificent like Sean in our lives.
0: Yeah, absolutely, no, no doubt about it. And, and reading your story was special, it, it definitely made my day. And I, I thank you for being on the show today.
1: Thank you, pleasure. How could,
0: how could people uh, find the book? Uh, TJMelligan.com,
1: it's, on, it's everywhere bookstores are sold, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, uh, any bookstore. And you can go to TJNelligan.com and our Facebook, LinkedIn, uh, and Twitter, TJ Nelligan, uh, to learn more about Sean's story.
0: Fantastic. Well, thanks again. I appreciate you guys, you being on. Uh, you are a, a true legend in the industry and a true legend as a parent. And you and Maggie and your family. And uh, it's been a real honor for me today. So I appreciate it. That's TJ over there. I'm Rob. You're watching uh, Gameplay Playing. You today. Take care, everybody. Thank you, Rob. You bet mm